everyone should have been discussing the major plane crash into the icy waters of the East River in New York City. But instead, everyone's attention from coast to coast was on another historic event. Find out which one on this episode of Top Fold. Welcome to Top Fold, a podcast about all the news that would have been. I'm your host, Luke Hefley. Here at Top Fold, we explore monumental events that didn't make the top story only because that spot was already taken. One of the last flights out of Chicago Midway International before the airport closed due to brutal winter weather, American Airlines Flight 320 from Chicago to New York City was as routine as it could be. Until it wasn't. Cleared to land on runway 22, weather conditions at LaGuardia International forced the crew to descend through thick clouds and heavy fog. And without any warning, the airliner crashed at 11.34 p.m. into the East River, less than 5,000 feet from the runway, killing 65 out of the 73 people on board. As soon as the plane hit the water, a tugboat close by tried to rescue survivors. The freezing water, dense fog, dark of night, and swift current made it almost impossible. By 5 a.m., at least nine survivors had been rescued, sadly one of whom passed away shortly thereafter. 22 bodies had been found, but 39 other victims were still missing. Prominent passengers who did not survive included television producer and director Beulah Zachary, world-renowned research scientist Robert Emerson, and huge Chicago real estate developer Herbert Greenwald. Joan Zeller, a young flight attendant who had only been on the job for a few months, was the only woman to survive. Even though this was the third worst aviation fatality disaster involving commercial aircraft in the United States and three well-known passengers had perished and the flight bridged the two largest cities in America, this wasn't the top news story. Not only was it not the lead story, but it wasn't even the most talked about airplane crash. On this same day, around 23 hours earlier, a different plane crash had killed all aboard. Was this a millionaire's private jet? A senator? a governor, or even a Hollywood star? No. Yet when the news spread across the nation, many cried. And years later, it became known as the day the music died. That's right. On February 3rd, 1959, there were two aviation catastrophes. Although one was a much smaller aircraft, it had a much larger impact on the nation and the rock and roll world. Headlines all over the country were talking about three rising musicians who had lost their lives in the perilous crash. Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and J.P. Richardson, known as the Big Bopper, along with the pilot Roger Peterson, all died in a cornfield near Clear Lake, Iowa. At 12.55 a.m. on that fateful morning, the plane took off, but was only airborne a few minutes before crashing at around 170 miles an hour, instantly killing all three performers and the pilot. Texas native Holly, at 22, who was the most famous at the time of the crash, had previously headlined tours across the United States, Australia, and the United Kingdom. He and his band, The Crickets, had topped the charts on both sides of the Atlantic with songs like That'll Be the Day and Peggy Sue. Richie Valens, just 17, had been known nationally for only seven months. His hits, like Come On, Let's Go, Donna, and La Bamba had catapulted him to stardom. The big bopper, 28-year-old J.P. Richardson, like Holly, was Texan through and through. Born and raised in the Lone Star State, he worked his way up as a disc jockey to performing all over the state before hitting it big. He carried his DJ persona with him, and as the big bopper, had songs like 
Chantilly Lace, and White Lightning. The three headliners were part of the Winter Dance Party Tour and had just finished a show at the Surf Ballroom in Clear Lake, Iowa. This was the 11th stop in as many days of the 24-day tour. Many who know this story might not know that there was also a fourth headliner on the tour, but not the plane, Dion and the Belmonts. Dion DiMucci and his band were well-known at the time and released the number one hit, Teenager in Love, a few months after the tour ended. Originally, it was just going to be Holly and his two band members, Waylon Jennings and Tommy Alsop, flying to the next venue. Richardson, who was suffering from the flu, asked Jennings to voluntarily surrender his seat. Valens, also wasn't feeling well, asked Alsop for his spot, and by the fate of a coin flip, Valens won. So immediately after the last song, the three of them left for the Mason City Municipal Airport. Richie Valens was terrified of flying. Just two years earlier, almost to the day, a freak aviation accident involving a Douglas DC airplane with no passengers had a mid-air collision with an Air Force fighter jet over Southern California and plummeted into Valens' junior high school playground. Tragically, three students were killed and over 70 injured. The four crewmen also perished in the crash. Valens wasn't actually at the school that day. He was at his grandfather's funeral, but was close friends with the students who were killed. During the winter dance party tour, weather conditions had been horrible, and the entire group traveled together in one bus from a fleet of reconditioned school buses that just weren't equipped to handle harsh Midwestern winters. The tour went through five separate buses in the first 11 days. The buses were old, broke down frequently, and many of the members, including both Valens and Richardson, had gotten the flu. Carl Bunch, Holly's drummer, was hospitalized for severe frostbite after the bus broke down in sub-zero degree weather in Ironwood, Michigan. With no heat on the bus, temperatures plummeted to 30 degrees below zero. Because their tour dates were scattered all over the Midwest, multiple times the bands backtracked, traveling hundreds of miles between events. After arriving in Clear Lake, having just driven 350 miles from Green Bay, they arrived at the Surf Ballroom, an event that wasn't even on the original schedule. Open dates meant no pay, so the performers reluctantly agreed to the additional stop. Even more frustrating, the next destination, Moorhead, Minnesota, was a 365-mile drive and would go directly back through two towns that they had just been in within the last week. Holly had had enough, so he chartered the plane to fly to the next event. Of course, in the New York Times, American Airlines Flight 320 was front-page news. But elsewhere, news of the death of three young rock and roll stars held the nation spellbound. The newspapers and televisions didn't know how to cover the story. Yes, young fans from coast to coast were mourning the news, but this was five years before the Beatles launched the British invasion, and newsrooms were struggling how to cover this new medium and the young fans. It had been less than four years since Rock Around the Clock by Bill Haley and the Comets had hit number one on the music charts, and less than three since Elvis debuted on The Ed Sullivan Show. Many saw the genre as representing juvenile delinquency, moral decay, and even anti-American values. Although the Winter Dance Party Tour had been in Minnesota four times before the crash and had a performance the night of February 3rd in Moorhead, the editors of the Minnesota Star Tribune, not wanting to promote rock and roll, relegated the news of the crash to page 11 the next day, and that was just an extended photo caption. If General Artists Corporation, who booked the tour, wouldn't let an open date go without filling it, 
They sure weren't going to let a plane crash that killed three of their top four performers stop it either. In the classic, The Show Must Go On, the Winter Dance Party continued that same evening on February 3, 1959, in Moorhead, Minnesota. In another twist of fate, Robert Veline, known professionally as Bobby V, was just 15 at the time when he and his band were asked to fill in that very evening. V, who had multiple hits including a number one song, Take Good Care of My Baby, tributes this night to him becoming famous. A local promoter was in the crowd and immediately offered him and his band multiple engagements. After that evening, teen heartthrobs Fabian, Frankie Avalon, and Jimmy Clanton substituted as the tour headliners. Frankie Sardo, who was one of the opening acts on the tour, was elevated to the headliner status, and of course, Dion and the Belmonts kept the show going. For the next 12 days, the tour had stops in Iowa, Illinois, Kentucky, and Ohio. One venue was almost 600 miles and at least 10 hours from the previous evening's performance. There were no days off, and many times there were two shows a day. The Civil Aeronautics Board, or CAB, immediately began their investigation into both crashes. Back in New York City, it was determined that the American Airlines crew's inexperience, poor weather conditions, and the type of aircraft all contributed to the crash. American Airlines had just started using the Lockheed L-188 Electra Turbine Propeller aircraft less than two weeks earlier, and the altimeters, which measures altitude, were a different style than what had been used in the older piston-type aircraft. These were newer, and although believed to be much more accurate, pilots training on the new aircraft reported several instances where they had misread the altitude on the altimeters by up to a 1,000 feet. Also on the day of the crash, the crew had relied on an instrument-only landing. Later, the director of the CAB testified before Congress, claiming that if the LaGuardia runway had been equipped with high-density lights, the accident probably would not have happened. Because of the findings, Lockheed retrofitted some of their passenger planes with both the old altimeters along with the new ones. In addition, pilots got more training, and high-density lights were added to not only LaGuardia, but multiple airports around the country. In regards to the Buddy Holly plane crash in Clear Lake, Iowa, although Peterson had passed his written examination covering instrument flight rules and had logged 52 hours of instrument flight training, he hadn't qualified to fly in weather requiring instruments only. On the night of the accident, because of low clouds, the dark of night, and an absence of ground lights over the rural area, it would have been impossible to fly without extensive instrument knowledge. The CAB concluded the accident was caused by the pilot's unwise decision to attempt a flight requiring skills he did not have. Buddy Holly left behind many unfinished recordings, from informal jam sessions to complete original songs. So many, in fact, that his record label was able to release new albums and singles for the next 10 years, with his last original song, Love is Strange, released in 1969. How influential was Buddy Holly? So much so that John Lennon and Paul McCartney based their music and style around Holly and were so inspired by Holly's insect-themed band name, The Crickets, they chose to name their band The Beatles. In 1987, there was a movie about Richie Valens' life. La Bamba, starring Lou Diamond Phillips, was nominated for Best Motion Picture by the Golden Globes, and on May 11, 1990, a star bearing Valens' name was added to the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Meanwhile, the Big Bopper is considered a pioneer to the rockabilly genre and in 2010 was inducted in the Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Waylon Jennings, 
went on to change the face of country music forever. He had nine number one hits in a row and at least 16 number one hits overall during his illustrious career. In 2001, he was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame. But sadly, the following year, Jennings passed away at the age of 64. Tommy Alsop teamed up with the likes of Roy Orbison, Willie Nelson, and many others over the years. Later in life, he would even open up a bar in Texas called Heads Up because of the coin flip he lost when Valens declared Heads. He passed away in 2017. Dion DiMucci went solo in 1960, and he had a great musical career. As a matter of fact, in June of 2020, at the age of 80, he released an album entitled Blues with Friends, debuting at number one on the Billboard Blues Albums charts. With contributions from Bruce Springsteen, Paul Simon, Van Morrison, Steve Van Zant, and many others, Dion proved he's still a fan favorite after all these years. In 2017, Joan Zeller, the only female survivor from the American Airlines crash, wrote a book providing a first-hand account titled Angel on the Wing, Flight 320, Come In. She realized that many had never heard of the crash and dedicated it to the extended family members of those who had perished, hoping to help give them some closure. On that cold winter day, not only did the innocence of flying change forever, but rock and roll's path did too. Instead of an airplane from Chicago to New York crashing into the East River with only eight survivors getting the headlines, the news was about three young superstars passing away before their time. February 3rd, 1959, as Don McLean elegantly sang years later, was the day the music died. And there you have it, all the news that would have been. Thank you for joining us this week on Top Fold. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Top Fold Podcast. And subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to your favorite podcast. All my sources and research can be found at topfold.buzzsprout.com. There, along with other things that bring history to life. I'd like to thank David Wagler for the music. And if you like the show, please rate us and give us a review. Or simply tell a friend. That would be great. So until next time, there you have it. All the news that would have been.